0: Welcome to Brazilian Politics, a podcast where three political analysts discuss all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will discuss updates from Congress and the power of Brazil's executive branch. This podcast is brought to you by Arco Advice, Brazil's leading political risk and public affairs company. With over three decades of experience in Brasilia and offices in the US, Arco can help your company navigate the complex political landscape in Brazil. Visit ArcoBrazil.com. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez, and I'm joined by my colleagues Lucas and Thiago Arago. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. To begin the discussion, I think we need to discuss this Monday's approval of Provisional Measure 871. The administration's back was up against the wall, given that the measure was set to expire on June 3rd, meaning that the Senate approved the measure at the very last minute, almost Literally. Uh, There are a couple observations about this approval that tell us a lot about the government's articulation, like the very high number of favorable votes and the fact that this was achieved on a Monday. So for those of us who are maybe less familiar with the dynamics of Brasilia, could you explain the importance of this vote and what it tells us about Bolsonaro's political articulation?
1: Michael, it's a very important provisional measure given that it Uh, create savings for the government of around 10 billion reais a year. Uh, In 10 years, they expect to save 100 billion reais, so almost 10% of the 1 trillion um, proposal for the pension reform. This is something that will definitely help, given that the the pension reform will be dehydrated or watered down at some point. Uh, And this was very much celebrated by the economic team. It was a great victory by the government, especially if we count the 55 votes that were given by the Senate. Important to mention that 49 is the constitutional minimum to approve a constitutional amendment, which is the case of the pension reform. So a good signal on the horizon for the pension reform. But nonetheless, a very risky move of the government of allowing the bill the provisional measure to be voted on the literally the last day that would lose validity in the Senate. Now, uh, of course, the numbers were very good. Of course, that uh, this was a great victory, but it's very risky that the government had it happen on the last day, especially on a Monday, given that the Congress has no positive track record of voting bills on Mondays in Brasilia. On Mondays, they are usually in their hometowns preparing to come to Brasilia for the normal Tuesdays and Wednesdays uh, days of work in the, in the capital of, Bra- of Brazil. Um, the government has to have a more strategic approach for these votes because not always the Senate or the House will vote Mondays and vote on the last day, especially provisional measures, which has already a negative context for Congress because they feel that it's uh, something that they have to vote too quickly and without uh, much discussion. It's important to mention that another provisional measure, the one signed by the economic team, which gives the economic freedom for entrepreneurs and businessmen, has already been sent to Congress. It has been two weeks without discussion in the House, and although I believe it will be approved, it could follow the same path of this provisional measure. In other words, it could come to a point where it would be voted last minute, which is always risky.
2: Yes, exactly. Voting a, a provisional measure like this in the last minute is very risky because it's an all-or-nothing take that uh, could define and, and initiate all this speculation whether the government is strong or not inside the parliament. In this particular case in the Senate, um, the government must thank, the presidential palace must thank the president of the Senate, Davio Alcolumbre, for his capability of Organizing everyone to vote, as Lucas well said on a Monday, uh, they were aiming for about 41 votes at least. They were able to get more than that. Uh, the, the The vote was uh, obtained in the last minute, around 9 p.m. Brasilia time. So this was uh, an important victory for the government, but also opens and demonstrates even more some of the difficulties that the government has in organizing its allied base to move forward Uh, from the point of view of the presidential palace. There was a direct intervention from the president of the Senate, which is something that um, the government doesn't want to stay increasingly dependent on for other measures like this in the future.
0: Thanks, guys. And, And because this government has a very specific top priority, I think every everything that uh, deals with the relationship between the government and Congress eventually goes back to how does this affect pension reform, which, like I said, is is the government's uh, maybe top three priorities put into one. Um, on pension reform, last week, the period of uh, public hearings and the presentations of amendments ended. And uh, a total of 277 amendments were presented to the pension reform proposal, which is a high number, but less than the 460 presented to Lula's proposal back when uh, he was uh, uh, moving with his version of pension reform. So what are the next steps for pension reform? And what could we expect to be concluded before the mid-year parliamentary recess, which begins on July 19th?
1: Michael, I think that the special committee will vote the report in June, although June is a tricky month for Brazilian politics. There's a cultural aspect of June uh, that some foreigners might not understand well, but we have the so-called Festas Juninas, which is these uh, very cultural uh, parties uh, that happen, almost like a mid-year carnival, which is very uh, important, especially in the northeast of Brazil. Uh, cities organize these big parties around uh, the theme uh, where congressmen, uh, they they travel to their home cities and they uh, are want to be close to their electorate. So June is a tricky month because they have this cultural aspect where they have to go home. This is a first point, but I do believe it will be cleared in June by the special committee. And I do believe that before the recess of of in july mid july we could go to uh, have a conclusion of the first round in the house especially of the main texts maybe not of all the amendments because it's a complex voting that could take about 2 to 3 weeks but the main texts the main uh, the central part of the pension reform could have the first round approved before recess which would be well received by the the market uh, especially because they know that the most important is actually the main text and, most importantly, having it cleared in the first round, which is considered the most important vote. I think this is a, a realistic and a, a scenario of positive news to the government, having the first round, at least the final text, approved before the recess. And then in August, the House would clear entirely the bill of the, the bill of the pension reform Opening space for the Senate to analyze in, in in the second semester with with some comfort.
2: Exactly, and and on top of that, we can see that politically the the clashes between uh, the executive and the legislative are diminishing, compared to what we have in the beginning of the year. We we start to see a better relationship in which the protagonism uh, the the leading role. Of the speaker Rodrigo Maia is becoming more and more acceptable. Um, for example, a couple of weeks ago, the Minister of Finance Paulo Guedes, in a presentation in Brasilia, he says that uh, the, the he is happy with the leading role that Rodrigo Maia took of the approval of the pension reform, and he understands that this is the is the way that it has to to be to go forward and to be within schedule, and he understands that if there is no outside uh, turbulences in this process, indeed, uh, things can go slightly faster than the the original agenda in terms of timing. And more than that, after a period of speculation whether the the ultimate number of the pension reform would revolve around 600, 700 billion reais, uh, we see players and individuals such as Geddes and Maya returning to talk about a potential one trillion reais impact for the approval
0: of the reform. Thank you, Thiago. I want to touch on one of the points that you made, which is that the tensions between the government and Congress are diminishing. Even if we do take that to be the case, I think it's still clear that there is a constant tension, even though the relationship may be improving, Uh, This morning, uh, Brazilian newspapers have uh, uh, some statements made by the president of the special committee on pension reform, Marcelo Ramos, where he has some some tough statements about the president, which uh, made the rounds in the newspapers. Basically, he said that Bolsonaro does not have the faintest idea of what is important for the country referencing the fact that Bolsonaro delivered a bill that deals with driver's licenses and, and driver's license points to Congress while parliamentarians were at a seminar on uh, pension reform and, and specific details of the proposal. So what are we to make of these statements from the president of the Special Committee on Pension Reform?
1: Michael, I think, I think that it's obviously a troublesome when we have uh, people... Uh, so important to the pension reform making these remarks. But first of all, I think that the relationship between President Bolsonaro and the Congress will always be tense given the way that he does politics, the priorities which he has uh, that normally do not align with the priorities of the parliament, the lack of a organized coalition around uh, his agenda. The good news is that the pension reform has become uh, a, a a, an agenda that is beyond the government is a almost a state agenda led not only by Bolsonaro but by uh, Rodrigo Maia, Paulo Guedes, part of the public opinion, and obviously that this has a lot to do with Bolsonaro, given that he is an elected president that has been speaking about the pension reform since the beginning, has not run away from the priority of the pension reform. Um, he does have uh, two thirds. Of, of the of the population, saying that he's either doing a good job or an okay regular job, which in Brazil, given the low credibility of politicians, is almost a compliment. So he has a lot of, of participation in the fact that we have people in the streets defending the pension reform. Um, but this has also become an agenda that is beyond him. So I don't think that this poses a real threat for the pension reform. I do think that these movements by Bolsonaro of having priorities that are often not the priorities that the parliament wants him to have, nor the economic team might want him to have, uh, might pose a threat for his post reform agenda, uh, for his other issues that might not dialogue properly with the parliament. But in this case specifically, I don't see a real threat for the pension reform, which I believe will be approved despite uh, these tensions and this miscommunication that often happens between both powers.
2: Yeah, and, and on top of that, if we look realistically at the process for the approval of the pension reform, uh, President Bolsonaro is a secondary player. He's not a key decisor right now. We have a situation in which uh, Speaker Rodrigo Maia and other members of the parliament and Minister Paulo Guedes they have a more proeminent role in the process of approval of the pension reform, than the president himself. so it's natural that um, uh, the president will be criticized once in a while by individuals who are leading the pension reform by by any move through any move that he makes which is not pension reform related. So this is something that we can we can expect until the end of the approval uh, period but more than that, uh, Bolsonaro has a style of not following one specific topic uh, all the time. So every time that the the pension, the, the government or the parliament is focused uh, on something big, like right now the pension reform or in the future the tax reform, there will be some other proposals coming from the presidential palace that if it doesn't match the, the will of the parliament in that particular moment, it will be criticized by the the congressman. And this is something normal. This is something that always occurred in Brazil. Um, I see that overall, at least on top of the pension reform itself, the relations are getting slightly better. But we're going to keep on seeing this sort of problems from now on uh, in relation to secondary topics and proposals and attempts coming from the presidential palace.
0: Thank you, Thiago. And speaking of proposals sent by the presidential palace to Congress this week, the government's economic team sent a proposal to Congress that is known as the Mansueto Plan. My question is, who is Mansueto? What is his plan? And why does it matter?
1: Michael, Mansueto, he is probably the biggest expert in public debt and public expenditures in Brazil. He is a, a civil servant uh, from IPEA, which is the Institute of Research of Applied Research in Brazil. He's a very uh, recognized economist who was Secretary of of uh, Treasury and also Secretary of Economic Monitoring during the Temer mandate, and he was kept as Secretary of Treasury during uh, the, the the Bolsonaro administration. He is very respected by Paulo Guedes and by the economic team. He basically has sent a proposal, which was nicknamed Plano Mansueto by Paulo Guedes, which is a a plan of fiscal relief and fiscal uh, pathways for some states that are in in difficult uh, situation. Basically, it helps 11 states, uh, some of them such as Goiás, Maranhão, Mato Grosso do Sul, uh, Santa Catarina, the federal district, uh, these states have a a C-grade level in the treasury evaluation system about their capacity to honor their financial compromises. Uh, In this situation where they have this, this grade attributed to them, they do not have the support or the guarantee of the treasury to go to the market and get loans. With this plan, if approved by Congress, uh, these states would have uh, the capacity to uh, create new debt with public and private banks, as well as uh, international organizations, with the guarantee of the Treasury, who will, will make sure that this will not become uh, uh, a, depth, a a a debt a consistent debt for those who have lent money to these states obviously uh that with this guarantee by the union by the by the treasury it's much easier for these governors uh to 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 get to borrow money from the private uh sector and international organizations um there are other things around the 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 bill uh for instance, for for they to be for these states to be considered, they have to make some adjustments to their own fiscal situation, like co- putting um, a spending cap in their in their expenditures, uh, not increasing the wages of civil servants for a period of time, uh, having to privatize some parts of their state-owned companies. So it's a, a plan of fiscal recovery for states with some counterparts that they will have to uh, abide to in order to have this guarantee from the Treasury. This is something that a lot of the governors are very interested in because not having this guarantee from the Treasury makes them in a situation of not being able to borrow money. So this is something that was thought by Gage as a way to convince the governors to help them have more votes to the pension reform so it's a leverage that might help the pension reform obviously that the details will be uh, unveiled in, in 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 some way soon obviously that this is going to congress so there will be changes in the in the content of the bill but it's important because it creates a natural engagement from the governors who are very interested in the approval of the bill of having This Mansueto plan approved, and in the counterpart, the federal government will request the governors to engage positively in the approval of the pension reform.
0: Thank you, Lucas, for the very uh, insightful overview of uh, the Mansueto plan, how it was received in Congress, and and its importance. Um, Another big point of discussion this week concerns the rules for provisional measures. Uh, provisional measures are, are a very important instrument for Brazil's president, and, and especially so in times of unstable governability. Uh, could you help us break down uh, provisional measures, what they are, and why is Congress looking into changing the rules for the drafting of provisional measures via a constitutional amendment?
2: Michael, a provisional measure is an instrument that the, the government has, uh, that the president has to, um, Move forward with uh, uh, a proposal that otherwise he could send to the government through a regular bill um, in which is enforced in the moment of his signature, and it allows him to to execute this uh, this the content of this provisional measure for a specific piece of uh, period of time, uh, which is uh, ninety days if I'm not uh, mistaken, and can be renewed. Uh, for uh, another period of time before the Congress has to sit down and vote whether this will become a definitive law or not. A provisional measure has been an instrument that several presidents have been using all the time uh, over the previous years, particularly when they are uh, uncertain of their capabilities of approving specific points or specific measures in the Congress or when they do not want to go through the typical process within the Congress to move forward with a specific agenda. The the point of ratification from the Congress of these uh, provisional measures is always perceived as a test of the power of this president towards the Congress and, and creates a major expectation whether it will be Uh, approved or not. I mentioned 90 days, but actually, uh, I mean, 60 days. It's valid once signed by the president. The provisional measure is valid for 60 days, can be renewed for further 60 days. But after that period, it must be uh, approved by the Congress. And this is where it becomes usually a major test for the president. Normally, the Congress approves Uh, without much difficulties, but every time that a message or a tension between these two powers exists and there is a desire to send a message from the Congress to the presidential palace, the approval of these provisional measures are either delayed um, or delayed to the last minute, as we've seen occurring in in the previous week, or in some rare cases, it's uh, rejected at all, or simply they allow it to lose its validity and move forward.
1: It's important to mention, Michael, that provisional measures have, according to the Constitution, they have to be used for emergency matters only. Obviously, this has not been the case. It has been, has been thoroughly used by President Cardoso, President Lula, President Dilma, uh, and President Temer, and now President Bolsonaro. The problem is, since they are effective immediately and they have this pressure to be voted in in 60 plus 60 days, uh, the Congress has to move very quickly. And also, it's important to mention that after 45 days, if a provisional measure is not voted, they gain priority over the agenda of the Congress, uh, hindering all other bills that are on the pipeline of being voted in the National Congress. So the Congress doesn't like the idea of provisional measures because it takes away their protagonism, it makes them, it forces them to, to comply to the agenda of the, the the government. And in a situation where you have a tense relationship between the executive and the legislative, this becomes an even further point of tension. It's important to mention that during the presidency of Dilma Rousseff, Renan Calheiros was aligned to the president and in a moment where the government of, of, of the PT had, although a lot of tension, uh, somewhat of a coalition in Congress, Renan Calheiros became very bothered by the fact that Dilma was uh, producing legislation almost exclusively by provisional measures, and he rejected a provisional measure. She sent him a provisional measure, and he did something that was extremely rare at that point, which was to say, no, we don't want this provisional measure, I'm uh, making it constitutionally, Illegal because according to the constitution it needs to be an emergency and this is not an emergency. So he took it literally what the constitution said and he rejected it. So... It's important to mention the, the discomfort that the Congress normally has with the excess of provisional measures because it reduces their protag- protagonism.
0: Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Thiago. Um, I, I would also just like to add that uh, the Senate is clearly uh, not happy with having its back up against the wall the way it was uh, this this Monday night. And I think a lot of the initiatives that are coming out of Congress are looking at provisional measures along those lines as well, saying that, uh, okay, let's, let's structure the number of days that the lower house has to analyze this proposal so that the Senate uh, isn't in a situation where it's forced to to in one day analyze complex legislation and getting get it approved just so that it, it doesn't expire. And I also wanted to ask you to indulge me uh, for a second, because while putting together this episode, um, I looked back and found an academic paper written by ARCO CEO Murilo Jaragon for Brown University, and I found this interesting tidbit in a chapter called The Hypertrophy of the Executive – which lists uh, not only provisional measures, but control of the implementation of the budget and control of personnel as the main drivers of the executive's power in Brazil. And he writes, for decades, the government drafted provisional measures and, in order to avoid the risk of having them rejected or modified, used its political coalition to keep them from being voted. At the end of the first 30 days of validity, they would redraft the measures and validate the effects of the previous measure. Thus, the initiative would remain effective for long periods of time without definitive scrutiny by Congress. The measures would not even make it to the voting agenda. This abusive redrafting of provisional measures hit its apex when a measure was redrafted 74 times when by some accident a provisional measure was rejected by Congress, the executive could just redraft it with modifications. Um, I think it's fair to say that this is a good example of uh, what we call a jabuticaba, or something that could only exist in Brazil. Uh, any thoughts on this?
1: Michael, the Supreme Court has made it tougher for these redrafting. And this uh, situation that Murilo points out in his paper, which is extremely interesting. I think that in a situation of tension between the executive and the legislative, um, it, it, it makes it more difficult. In this situation where the redrafting happened, there was somewhat of a goodwill by Congress to accept it. But now, in a situation that there is not such a goodwill, this could easily be sent to the Supreme Court, which could have a voice saying that the the changes are minimal and therefore they cannot be redrafted there is even a decision by the supreme court which happened in the beginning of this year in february that says that a measure can't be redrafted the, the original understanding is that a provisional measure cannot be redrafted on the same legislature uh the supreme court for instance the 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 provisional measure on on water and sewage treatment, it was drafted by Temer. It lost validity under Bolsonaro. Technically, he could redraft a new provisional measure. However, the the Supreme Court understanding says that now it's not only when uh, it was created uh, that it can't be redrafted; uh, it's also when it loses validity in that given year. Since the the, the provisional measure of water and sewage was drafted by Temer but lost validity under Bolsonaro they can't redraft it again that is why they wrote the same content in a bill of law which was presented by senator Tasso Jereissati it's something very complex but what i'm saying is while you have a positive relationship between the executive and the legislative these paths of redrafting redrafting with some changes here and there are uh, more more accepted. In a situation where the tension is uh, building, it becomes harder to find uh, these workarounds uh, in provisional measures. And I think this is what will happen uh, during the Bolsonaro administration. He will not have this capacity to do these workarounds of redrafting multiple times the same provisional measure.
0: Thank you, Lucas. I also want to thank Thiago for taking part in our podcast this week. And thank you again to our listener for tuning in. Uh, This will do it for this episode of Brazilian Politics. Please tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thank you.